On this week's Big Tech Show, when will cars safely drive themselves on our streets? And who in Ireland is providing the technology to help them do that? We talk to one of the country's biggest automotive autonomy entrepreneurs. I have BMW Drive Assist in my own vehicle and it is much, much safer because we are all prone to distraction, especially when we're on the motorway from Limerick to Dublin, for example. We've all been there where you actually forgot a whole section of the road. So I would say if you take it from a safety perspective and it does allow you to kind of relax. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Shachtan and Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Iruk the end of Chacht Erechor. Agus Suligam a Makan Shah Gurfeder Echor in Uik Kart Len of Winter Fame. Skilti Fis Turmi. Tashe Dochretche Nach Vetoch Ara Igornamion on Kestin Echol. Vientalam Aginom Griv Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This is an Irish independent podcast. I find it hard to be too critical of Murray. I think he's, uh, I just think he was such a big player for Ireland for so long. You want to be loyal. But you can't do a Joe Schmidtness in in 2019 and be overly loyal to people because that can burn you too. You have to be able to pick bravely and pick guys who maybe haven't got the experience. I think that's very important at this time. You got to pick people who are playing well. If you want to completely change your game plan from James and Gibson Park, then of course, like Conor Murray is very different. But is that the way Ireland want to play anymore? Like, is that is that actually something that they want? But I do think that the, t- the team has moved in a slight different direction. It's a busy week in Irish rugby with the Six Nations squad announcement looming ahead of what is a vital weekend for the provinces in the final round of Champions Cup pool games. All that means that on tonight's episode of The Left Wing, we have plenty to talk about. Will Slattery here, and I'm delighted to be joined by Luke Fitzgerald and Rory O'Connor. Rudd, we might start with that squad announcement uh, this Thursday morning. Andy Farrell will reveal his squad for the Six Nations and I suppose there's some question marks over Johnny Sexton and Tyke Furlong, but a lot of the other starting players are available. But there's some interesting kind of questions around some of the veteran players in the team. Connor Murray was dropped from Munster's game last weekend. Keith Earls was on the outside looking in as well. And Bundy Aki's in a pretty interesting situation in Connacht as well, judging by Andy Friend's kind of cryptic comments about his availability there. What will Andy Farrell be thinking heading into the announcement about some of those key guys? You say they're in a good position, but I mean, Sexton and Furlong, I know we're expecting them to be fit, but they are two major question mark players to have question marks over. Like, hopefully, you know, it looks like Johnny's going to be okay. And Leinster are very positive about about uh, Furlong. You know, James Lowe's returns to New Zealand for family reasons. He may not make it back for the start of the Six Nations, so that's one to keep an eye on. Um, he'll be given the time and space he needs and, and you know, whether that means he gets back or not. I mean, there's good depth at wing at, at the moment um, and a couple of Leinster players are playing very well in particular and also in fairness, Shane Daly and Calvin Ash and Munster both are a good weekend. So that could be an, another opening there. Um, but yeah, it's the three kind of centrally contracted players that have kind of grabbed the headlines in the last week because, you know, for Munster to go into a Champions Cup game without Conor Murray, Keith Earls, was a big um a big news story. I got to watch their training session a week ago and, and I, I kind of knew it was on the card. Certainly with Murray you could tell from from watching the way they were running that he would be out of the picture. Um Earls, you know, you might have expected him to be on the bench at least, but no, he's out as well. So that was a big call from Graham Rountree, who's picking the team that he thinks will get him the results that he needs to be successful. Um but they're two of Ireland's 
you know, the golden circle of 13 century contracted players who are still, you know, Murray, I think, is under contract till 2024 um, with Ireland. So that's a bit of a problem if, if Farrell is hoping to, to put him on the bench for Wales in three weeks' time. If he's not playing at all, he's not getting any minutes. Aki, you know, when, I, I think I wrote it the other day that you expect when he's not playing that he's being rested, but he's only played five times this season. And when I asked Andy Friend about whether he'd be involved against Newcastle and, and kind of whether he's been rested at the moment, he kind of just looked, gave a two-word answer. He kind of, his face darkened and he gave a two-word answer saying he's training. And it was clear that he wasn't inviting any more questions on the topic. And, and whatever's going on with Aki, and I've heard a couple of people during the week talk about well, it's, it's an attitudinal thing. There was some illness over Christmas. But he's not getting picked for Connacht in favour of a 21-year-old academy player who's been brought in called Cahill Ford, who's playing very well. And Tom Daly, who's another number 12, is on the bench. So at the moment, certainly based on last week and also the week before, which was a pivotal game against the Sharks, he wasn't picked. So like you, you think that if he's been rested for these games against Breve and Newcastle, he would have played against Leinster and, 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 uh, and Sharks. But he didn't play in any of them. So that's a bit of a concern for Andy Farrell. Because again, sorry, the one player we didn't mention is Robbie Henshaw, who's also touch and go for the Six Nations. So there's a few injury doubts in a couple of different areas. So um, a few clouds hanging over this team and squad announcement on Thursday. And, and it'll be very interesting to see whether all those century contact players get in. I expect they probably will. Certainly Murray and Aki. Um, and whether any kind of young players like Jamie Osborne, if we're light at 12, whether he gets a nod, there's a couple of big talking points there as well. Yeah, Luke, the Conor Murray one's probably the most interesting one, just considering how much Andy Farrell has used him. He's been a fixture in the 23, and he started obviously against South Africa, you know, to, to kickstart the November series. He picked up an injury that day, but Andy Farrell kind of went with them. Do you think he will be or should be in the squad, given that Munster are potentially looking to move away from him? Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's a real tricky one. I think it probably sends out the wrong message um, to those, well, to to everyone else, really. I mean, um, John Cooney's had a bit of a mixed season, a few injuries and that. He's obviously talking about some Scottish stuff as well, and I think he's out of favour. I think Caelan Blade, like every time I see Blade play, he's been excellent for Connacht this season. Um, And and I actually thought that um, they look more dangerous without him, I think. Um, The ball is just moving away from the rook a lot quicker. Um, you know, and I think it sends out a bad message to those two guys if if the guy who's behind you is getting selected in the Irish team. Now, look, he has vast amounts of experience and he does give you something very, very different, which maybe is what uh, Farrell wants. Like, if you want to completely change your game plan uh, from Jameson Gibson Park, then, of course, like, Conor Murray is very different. But is that the way Ireland want to play anymore? Like, is that is that actually something that they want I don't really think it plays into their strengths. So I think, yeah, I, I think it'll be very interesting to see how it goes. I mean, look, Murray's a big game player. I I, I love Murray. I think he's he's always been brilliant for, for Ireland. But I do think the team has probably moved in a slightly different direction to his strengths. Um, and I think at this point, you know, Casey looks like he's playing a good bit better, playing with more confidence as well. So, um, yeah, interesting to see what, what, what the selection is there, Will. It's... I find it hard to be too critical of Murray. I think he's... Uh, I, I just think he was such a big player for Ireland for so long. But I do think that the, t- the team has moved in a slight different direction. Yeah, Rod, like it's an interesting one. If you look at the Munster Northampton game, Graham Roundtree went with Craig Casey and Paddy Patterson wanted to play an up tempo game in a game that Munster were likely to get a lot of front football in, obviously before the right card potentially. But at an international level, is it worth having Conor Murray in that squad? Because, you know, there'd be the games are going to be tighter. Ireland could be defending leads against 
big teams, is it good to have a guy whose strengths are, you know, putting the ball in the air, putting teams under pressure, not in a starting position potentially, because that Gibson Park is kind of driving the team in many ways, but having that change of pace as an option in a squad rather than having three scrum halves who play very similarly, there could be I think there's merit to that, even if Connor Murray is not playing as well by any means as he has in the past. I, I think you're onto something there, Will, and I think what Andy Farrell often does is go back to the way players have performed from in the past. He's huge loyalty to the senior men who've been there and done it. And the fact that Murray won his 100th cap, they made a big deal about it. And we asked Andy Farrell before that 100th cap, what is it about Conor Murray that you know you keep coming back to? And he kind of he, he often makes remarks about how fans are always carried away, or media probably too, are carried away by the next big thing. But what he respects is people who've been in the arena, people who've done it before for him, people who have gone to Twickenham and closed out a big game. People who've played in, what has he played in, seven Lions tests? Maybe eight. Um, it, it, he's been on loads of tours. He's been in so many dressing rooms. And he actually he used the phrase that he's in awe of Conor Murray and the fact that he's been so consistent, yeah, consistently excellent over the course of his career. And we've got to remember what time of year it is. So you're away in Cardiff. The, 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 the roof is open. Do you want... Connor Murray in in your locker. Do you want the best box kicking nine of the last ten years in your in your locker? Someone who can control the pace of a game, a better defender than all the other players around them in that Test match arena. That is another factor that we probably overlook sometimes. Luke doesn't. In fairness, Luke always looks at the defensive side of the game. But you know, I always be guilty of looking for the big plays, the the, the attacking exciting stuff, and I probably weigh that more heavily than other stuff. So Murray, like Munster are away in Toulouse this weekend. Do they go for Paddy Patterson off the bench or do they go for the 100 cap international that they have in their locker to try and get them the result that they need? I wouldn't be surprised if Murray comes back in this weekend. Even Earls, you know, in that 23, I wouldn't even be surprised to see Fekato involved to some degree because they need experience, they need size, they're away against one of the best teams in the world. So, and that could, because Andy Farrell already knows what the Munster team is, I would imagine. I mean, that could give him cover to bring him back in that he's played a big European game. I'm not saying he'll start ahead of Casey, but do you have the experience, the, you know, away from home against a team of that calibre? Do you go for that? And that does, does that give you cover to bring him back in if you need cover at all? Because Farrell, in fairness, has always picked the way he wants to pick. He picked Gibson Park when no one was calling for it. He's picked players who weren't getting their games for the provinces. You know, you know, Kieran Treadwell is someone who doesn't really star for Ulster, but he's regularly involved for Ireland. Um, So, look, I think, I think there's every chance he's going to be in the Ireland squad. And there's even every chance he could be involved. I think that was the selection for last week. I wouldn't be surprised if Murray was involved again this week. Yeah, because if you even look at kind of the nine depth chart, like it's not as if there's two other scrum halves besides Gibson Park and Murray who are demanding, I don't think anyway, like 20, inclusion in the 23. Craig Casey's having a pretty good season, but I don't think... Yeah, yeah it's been they've been good. They've been good, but really, really good. I don't think they've been as good as John Cooney was in 2020 or 2019 when he wasn't getting picked. Personally, you know, I, I feel yeah, like I, I don't know if that's the right basis. Like, I mean, I'm not sure that provides good context for making that decision. Per, just, just personally, I think, um, you know, I think Blade is actually. If you, if you look at how good he's been for Connacht this season, the team that hasn't always been performing well and lots of tight matches, I think he's really stood up. I think defensively he's been excellent. We talk about that being a strength for Connor, and I think it's a great point that that you both make on that side of the ball. It is important, but scrum half is still one of those positions where. Yes, there's an important part of the defense of, you know, you, know you, you do make some interjections there and you're you're one of the 15 on the pitch. So you're you know, you're an important cog in my mind always. You have to be able to defend. But really, like, where's your bigger impact? Your bigger impact is, as a nine is absolutely 
um, you know, as a as a distributor and as the key guy in terms of creating the tempo that the team wants to play with. And that's probably why I'd lean maybe away from Murray at this point in time is that I think, like, you know, they touch the ball the most of anyone on the pitch, that number nine slot. And I just think the defensive side, it's so nice to have with Murray, but I still think it's more important that your attacking game is, is and, and what you're doing with the ball um you know, it's still the key part for that position more than anywhere else because you can kind of hide them. And I always think Murray's a great cover of kicks and things. But there's other guys. Blade has been excellent in that regard this year as well. Luke McGrath's excellent in that in that facet. And I actually think Casey is too. He's just smaller. But um look, that's just my my opinion on that one. I do think it's it's a really interesting talking point. And I actually think it is there is lots of merit in being able to completely change up your game plan if things aren't working. And Murray certainly is very, very different to all the to, to all the other options that they have now. The other all the other options are more archetypal nine, you know, small, snappy, quick delivery, probably a snappier pass as well. Um, you know, and, and there is definitely some merit in having a bigger guy there with a great kicking game and a great defensive, you know, he has, he, in fairness to him, he is very good at d- defensively. But um I don't know. I, I think this this weekend is very important for him. As as Rudd said, you know, Farrell will still want to have to, like he'd want to know that Murray's playing this week and starting this week away to pick him in that squad. Otherwise, I just think it doesn't send out a good signal to, to in, in my opinion. I just think it's you know it might even light a fire for Murray for the end of the season if he doesn't get selected at the start. And he, of course, remember he can always come into the squad if he plays well during the Six Nations. You know, so it's not completely off. You know, if you don't get selected for the first squad, you can still get back in there. So um, I think it wouldn't be a good signal to the rest of the squad in a year where you want to be loyal. But you can't do a Joe Schmidt in in 2019 and be overly loyal to people because that can burn you too. You have to be able to pick bravely and pick guys who maybe haven't got the experience. I think that's very important at this time. You've got to pick people who are playing well. Rod, just on central contracts generally, because obviously I know I was talking to you the other day and you were talking about some of these guys who are on central contracts and aren't playing regularly at provincial level and some of the guys who aren't on central contracts as well. Josh van der Fleer is one. Like... What what do you make of the criteria that's being used to give these out? Some of the players who got them recently were veteran players. I think, in fairness, for the Van der Fleer case, like this was before he was World Player of the Year was when he signed his last contract. Obviously, if he was doing it now, he would be on one. So I think you know maybe that the kind of context is key when when the contract comes up. Obviously, plays a huge part in who gets them as well. Yeah, and it's like you, I am slightly critical of it because I do think that it rewards past performance rather than kind of form or and it can kind of create a club of players who've done it in the past for you and and, and if if the selection goes with the central contracts then it cuts them off from everyone else and makes them almost untouchable i don't think Andy farrell selects that way though so i think that's it that's a healthy thing and um, and i i don't have a better model so um i was actually I have a piece on this in in wednesday's indo and, on, and online and um, we've 13 century contract players at the moment three of them are not getting selected uh, at all um, five of the kind of what you would think is the first team for Ireland don't have them, um, which I think you know it just shows that the, the the criteria is basically that you've been in the team for the last two years, you're starting every time that you're one of Andy Farrell's um, top men. But based on the selection, the way things have gone, a lot of the players who, who have them at the moment are not getting picked. I mean, there's three centers and you can only pick two of them, but they're all very important players. I do think also, and and David Nusifor, I found some quotes from David Nusifor from 2021 where he talked about this and he said, look, it's not a perfect system. He's also trying to make sure that he doesn't have 15 centrally contracted players at Leinster and that everyone else is cut adrift. Because if you have 15 centrally contracted players at Leinster, um, and that might be unrealistic, but even 12, you're taking those players and their salaries off the balance sheet, which allows Leinster to sign even better players 
who are non-internationals from abroad or, or from somewhere else and you're all then you're you're basically perpetuating the gap that's already there between them Munster Ulster and and Connacht so like you might think that Keith Earls and Conor Murray shouldn't be on central contracts but he's also looking at trying to make sure that he's paying their salary so they can sign an Orgies Nyman or someone to try and help them keep pace with, with Leinster. As I understand it, Jacob Stockdale's losing a central deal this um, at the end of this season. He's gone on to an Ulster deal. Ulster, like Connacht, will only have one centrally contracted player on their books. That means they have to pay, you know, everything else comes out of their budget and they've just signed Dave Ewers today. So that falls on them. So whereas Leinster, if Keenan gets one, Doris gets one, I'd expect Van der Fleer to get one soon. Um, Dan Sheehan should get one. Ronan Keller, there's an argument you could have two hookers on it. Um, that takes all those players off Leinster's balance books. It, it puts more money into their budget that they can go and spend on other players or invest into their academy. And it just, as I say, perpetuates the fact that Leinster is stronger than everyone else. Even one of their centrally contracted players was produced by Connacht. And then they picked him off when he when he was, when he he was just showed himself to be excellent. And Connacht are getting nothing for producing Robbie Henshaw. But maybe that's something that we could look at in terms of you know the, the way that the reward is. If you come through the Leinster Academy, you know, like Ty Byrne did, do Leinster get some money from that? So... I haven't got a better alternative. It kind of works. You know, players don't leave Ireland. Ireland, they're the number one team in the world. So New Sephora can go, look, I've looked at everything else, but this works. But it's certainly not perfect. Yeah, I wonder, would it be better if they could, like, kind of line up the contract so every two years you kind of, like, assess who stays, who goes, and chop and change it like that. Like, England have this elite player squad that Steve Bordwick can make five changes to per window or something like that with, with or per season maybe that potentially might be better so everyone finishes at the same time so maybe you could i don't know you wouldn't have this situation where guys are like playing unbelievable rugby but have to wait another three years for i said kind of to come up it doesn't work like that though will because you've, you've people coming out of school at different times you've different ages you've different injury profiles like it's it's a far more bespoke type of arrangement in, in, in every single contract. You also don't know what other people are being offered abroad. Like that's often a big consideration. You know, someone might be offered a massive deal in France for three years or something on the table for four years. So all of a sudden, you know, if you want everyone on two-year contracts, all of a sudden you're kind of saying, hmm, well, do you know what? Actually, you know, I think I might take that three or four-year contract, a massive money in France guaranteed versus my Or do you do my work up cycles then maybe? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe you could. I, I think it's more bespoke than, than you think. And of course, you want to be careful about who you're giving contracts to. Um, you know, I, I think, um, you know, you look at, say, say that like if Ian Henderson probably is a guy. I think Ian Henderson probably, is he on a, an, a central contract? I think he probably is. You look at his injury profile. So, so there's an example of someone you're saying, Jesus, like, he's very important to Ulster, but he rarely plays. Um, you know, and he's on a central contract. So, like, look, it, it's very difficult. Like, each, each, each deal is, is is very different. Like even in my own experience, um, I moving off a, a national contract, I was actually offered a better deal from Leinster financially um, and from a timing perspective. Uh, in in would have been my actually it was my last contract. Um, so go figure. Like it's not actually always the most like in terms of the remuneration. It's not, it's not always the best actual option. That may have changed. Um, there was a bit of other stuff aside, you know, attached to that. Um, but yeah, like it's it's a very interesting one. Will I think it's really difficult to do that. I think ideally you would you would do that, and it would time nicely with different windows that are ending. But I think they've probably done that with quite a lot of them anyway. Um, so we, we wait and see on that. Uh, I, I'm not, I'm unconvinced that there's anything better on the table. The same as you two. I think I I, I don't see the English model really working for them at this point, but. Um, you know their their financial situation is seems to be in absolute disarray over there. So 
Um, whereas over here, I think there's pressure, but not to the same extent. Um, so I think our model at this point looks like it's working pretty well, uh, to, to be honest with you. And I'm not sure, it, you know, while we're, we're not unbelievably happy with who are on the national contracts and who's playing, um, you know, you'd always like to see, you know, that fairly synchronized in terms of who's on it and who's playing for the national team. It, it oftentimes, and my own experience would probably speak to that, it really doesn't matter. You know, you just want to be able to keep the players playing in Ireland. Like, it doesn't really matter. Like, a national contract or an interprovincial, from a player's perspective, I don't think they really care. All that really matters is they're getting paid properly, you know? Um, and, of course, you do have to consider that you are managing those provincial. Like, you can't let Leinster be decimated during Six Nations in November windows and have people that aren't available for certain games, etc., and not, you know, and have them supplying the team. Um whilst also like you can't give them too much of an advantage by having loads of people on national contracts and freeing up cash flow for them to build and build and build while the other con- other provinces are under pressure so it's a balancing act i'm sure someone's looking after it pretty well because it looks to me like they're doing a good job well yeah and as rudd said like the worry would be that the guys on central contracts are almost written into the team because of that but at the point he makes obviously andy farrell hasn't exactly done that to date which is a good thing because maybe towards the tail end of the joe schmidt era as you, you said earlier, Luke, like he was quite loyal to those guys who, who were kind of stalwarts in the team. Um, another international rugby kind of bombshell dropped on the coaching front road like the other night. Eddie Jones is back in the game. I was absolutely delighted when I saw it. Like, um, what a like that side of the draw didn't look as enticing as Ireland's, but now you have Eddie Jones, Gatlin back in the mix. Michael Check is there as well for good measure, but it's such an interesting appointment and on another long-term deal similar to Gatlin with a view to kind of rebuilding the team to the next World Cup even. And he's running the women's program as well for for good measure because he always said he had loads of spare time and he was England coach and he used to get bored, so he's just trying to fill his fill his diary as much as possible. Look, it makes the World Cup even more interesting than it was before and it does spice up that. Like you've got this one side of the draw where everyone's on a four-year plan everyone's building you've basically got the top i haven't looked at the rankings i think it's the top four teams in the world it's certainly the top four favorites for this tournament but only two of them can get through the quarterfinals they'll all take a load of a load out of each other and then on the other side you've got absolute chaos you've got three new coaches you've got check who's not there that long as well and you know anything could happen really i mean they all have good players to work with wales probably less so than australia and england it's probably england have the strongest um group of players but they've got the least experienced coach Gatland and Jones just have been there before. They know what they're doing. Um, I'd love to see that game in Marseille happen. I mean, that would be just epic, you know, to see England Eddie Eddie go up against England in Marseille in a World Cup quarter final would just be gold. Um, it's just like it'd be what that's why <laughs> I had to put together. It would but be, be pleasant viewing Africa four years ago, and that didn't happen. So <laughs> it would be incredibly pleasant viewing to see that backfire. <laughs> Oh, obviously, I mean, I, just, I have no great sympathy for Jones getting sacked, but like, I do no. like the idea of him, his comeback story at the same time. And, and I think he'll get a tune out of Australia in the short term. I do think long term he may struggle because that's how his coaching t- games jobs have gone. And I feel sorry for Dave Rennie, who always struck me as a pretty decent fella and who I thought was kind of coming good as Australia coach. But in fairness, they're, 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 if you actually look at the win loss ratio, it was, it was pretty, pretty poor. So. You can see why he, he got the bullet at the same time, but it's it's a bit harsh this close to the the, the finish line to, to get rid of him. Yeah, it's funny that Eddie Jones is now like 
he was coach of Australia for their home World Cup in 2003. And what, be 24 years later, he'll be back at the helm again for another, well, if he lasts, sorry, if he lasts the five years is a big caveat. But it's a fantastic story in the Lions tour in between as well. Like talk about Lions tours don't usually need an extra bit of spicing up loop, but to have him potentially involved in that as well makes it even more enticing. Oh, they need him to spice it up because, you know, that'd be like, it'd be like kind of 13 again, wouldn't it? I mean, that was... The Lions were never how they even lost the second test. I'm not sure, but um, they should have won that comfortably. They were a good bit better than that Australian team. Now, there's some good players there, but still, no real out and out, out half on that team. Um, and I think they look like a team that's kind of struggling a little bit as well. I mean, look, the game is under massive pressure there. Someone like him could really reinvigorate things, super organized, demands a massive amount. The challenge for him, I think, is you know. Can he keep some stability there? I think Australian rugby probably needs that. You need to have coaches that want to work for you, want to stay with you and stay the course, particularly if they're good ones. So, like, provided you can attract the right people, you want to be able to keep them. I think that's really important. And that was what really, I think, burnt him in the end in the England job. Uh, My worry with him is that, you know... has he really learned anything from that England job? I think he felt like he was doing the right things there, but you can't write off, like he won't be able to write off, uh, you know, the, 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 rug, the rugby championship down there in between, uh, you know, the, the World Cup cycles. Like, and that's probably, that's essentially what he was doing at, in, in that England job. Um, you need to have some kind of consistency. You need to be able to, um, you know, point to something to give people confidence who are employing you. I, I actually think the RFU did the right thing. I think the timing was probably wrong. Um, but uh, I think they got that they did the right thing. Uh, you know, you just can't have people riding off these competitions in between the World Cup. That's what that's the basis for you playing well. You might be able to turn up at a World Cup and do it, but I would argue there's plenty of time between the Six Nations and the World Cup for you to be able to do it at the Six Nations as well. That's equally important. In my, well, not equally important, but it's very, very important, close to being as important. Um, so yeah, look, it's exciting. He's always good for a quote. I'm sure uh, yourself and Rhodes would be delighted for that. I, I do enjoy his press conferences to a certain extent, um, but I, I'm I'm really kind of I'm quite passionate about Australia having to really get their act together and and, and start and kind of reinvigorate the rugby world the rugby game out there like we, Australia were always one of the most exciting teams to to come up against always really creative and really competitive and oftentimes the best team in the world as evidenced by their their World Cup record so I think um, we need them to be good and uh, they've been kind of on a slow decline for for quite a while now and I don't think the game's in great health so uh, hopefully he does a great job. Yeah, certainly it'll be interesting to watch and that side of the draw has just got a hell of a lot more exciting run. In terms of Champions Cup then, obviously we're three quarters of the way through the pool stages, just one round to go coming up this weekend. If Leinster beat Rassing, they'll be a top seed Munster. Most likely going to progress. They could get a better seeding if they get a result in Toulouse, but they, they're probably facing into a tricky away fixture against one of the top seeds in the other side of the draw. Ulster can still actually get through if Claremont don't get any points in the, in the Stormers and Ulster beat Sale. I think they, they potentially even play Leinster. What, what are the, which one of the provinces kind of jumping out to you in terms of interest? Well, I think the competition was better this round. I think it's getting better each round and we're actually seeing the... You know, it's coming to a good place now. Like, you know, there's everything, there's something at stake for everyone this weekend. And that can only be a good thing. And we saw that reflected in the way the teams were selected last weekend. It was, you know, pretty strong all around. And the games, I think, were good as a result. Um, I think Munster is probably still, like, because they're of where they've come from and what they're doing and the fact even they got themselves like they were looking like they were coasting home to an easy win and then Jack O'Donoghue gets himself sent off they, you know, they, they even made it an easy win dramatic in that way and the fact that they didn't select those two players and then took off 
um, Carberry and, and O'Mahony and left Crowley on to, to kind of guide it home and did it and, and closed it out um, against Northampton who were on the rise like the momentum was with them and Munster checked that momentum that was really impressive um, and to see where they go now and how they get on against a top tier team away from home is going to be fascinating like Toulouse have already qualified but the they're tied on 13 with two other teams. They need to get five points to try and ensure they stay at home through the knockouts to get to that Dublin final, just as Leinster are trying to do on the other side of the draw. And for Munster, like they're not, they probably will get through regardless. Like I think that, that a point would, would, would help. But you look at the top three teams on the other side of the draw, it's Leinster, Selchie, Sharks and Saracens. Like you don't want to be going away to any of those teams, particularly not, well, Leinster or the Sharks, you know, you don't want to be going to Durban in the middle of your season for a knockout game. So there's a lot to play for for Munster this week as well. And it's interesting to see whether Roundtree sticks with that kind of brave selection and whether he goes, like, this is my team now that, you know, you guys, look, you you have it, like, Murray's still in a contract, you have a future here, but you're not, the, you're not the present right now. You need to respond or whether he goes back to some experience over the course of the week because it's such a big game away from home. Um. They're just compelling at the moment every week because their URC matches matter and their European matches matter because they got themselves in that big hole at the start of the season. And it's like you'd love to you'd love to have a fly in the wall for Munster this year. You'd love if Netflix were in there or or, or you know uh, Amazon or something filming them because there's just been something all all the whole way along. They're in there themselves, Rod. Yeah, you're not a subscriber. No, I'm not, I haven't shelled out. Uh, for, was it four euro a week or a month to to, to sign up just yet? No. Yeah, it's funny you meant like the Munster Northampton oh, game. Like, runs. <laughs> <laughs> that that Munster Northampton game. Like I feel like every time I turn on a Champions Cup game, Northampton are getting absolutely pumped by someone somewhere in Europe. But they got back <laughs> they got back into that game and Munster were pretty fortuitous that Northampton needed the victory, right? Because they had to, they took the three points. Because if they had gone to the corner there, five meter line out with, with two minutes to go, could easily been a draw, which would have maybe jumped Munster out. In terms of Toulouse, Luke, for Munster, I think it's a massive challenge. I think they look like they're really clued in this year. Like I know they got absolutely hammered by Leinster in the Aviva, but that was a week after that extra time game against Munster, yeah. which was mentally draining, obviously physically draining. A lot of their guys were involved with the French Grand Slam effort. Again, more kind of mental and physical fatigue. I think they look fresh. I think they look really good. I think it could be a tough day for Munster. And I also think later in the competition, like I know it looks almost preordained for Leinster to march to the Aviva Stadium, but I think Toulouse are going to be really, really tough to beat this year. Yeah, no, I think you're dead right. And I think, um, you know, there were some things with the Leinster performance. I mean, the scrum, like, you know, there was, there's some concerning parts of the set piece. Uh, struggled against Connacht at line out as well a couple of weeks back. Um, it's not a cakewalk by any means. And I think they need to get those things right. They could, the way they've been performing and some of the, like, I think Racing will be a more interesting one this weekend, I think, for, for Leinster. We'll get a bit more of an idea from that. But so to turn back to the Munster thing, yeah, it's a huge ask for them. I think Toulouse look very good, the bits that I've seen of them. Um you know, they've got that big, big pack. They look electric behind the scrum as well. Um, you know, I think last year, um, coming back to Dublin as well, like there was, it was a lot of, that was a really big ask coming. And Leinster are very, very difficult to beat at home. And of course, you know, if they are, if they stay in the position they are, they continue to perform and they get those three matches at home. You know, sorry, those three legs at home, sorry, uh, you know, at each juncture, they will be very difficult to turn over. But still, those we've seen, like, you know, Saracens have come over and done that. They dominated Leinster at the scrum. Uh, you know, Toulouse and, and obviously La Rochelle as well. Um, you know, they, it's still big asks uh, to, to come up against, even the Stormers as well, to come up against those kind of packs. 
Um, you know, Leinster need to get that sorted pretty quickly. And look, I think Tyke Furlong probably helps that, and you hope he's available for those ones. But if he's not, um, you know, and he has had some injury stuff of late, and he's probably going to be wrapped in cotton wool to a certain extent, probably not for the Heineken Cup now. But still, uh, you know, they'd be looking after him in a, in a World Cup year because of his importance. Leinster need to get those things sorted out pretty quickly. So it's not a cakewalk. Um, and a big ask for Munster this weekend. Toulouse um, look very, very strong at the moment. And they've got that depth, Will. They've got that depth, haven't they? Um, and I think as well, we talked. you talked about the Grand Slam. And yes, there were some key guys there involved throughout the process. And Dupont, who's obviously key to them, uh, has had some injury concerns. You can see them kind of talking that up. I think the French management were talking about that. You know, that he needs to, they need to get him right uh, for the World Cup. He's an important player. Um, but they still have massive depth. And, and I think that um, they'll be a real threat all for this weekend for, for Munster, but also throughout the competition. They look, as you said, clued in. I completely agree. Yeah, and the emergence of Manuel Miafu in the second row. I know he was there last year when uh, Leinster beat them, so it's not as if Will, like Will Skelton, he's never lost to Leinster. But he's gotten even better, like against Sale at the weekend, whose pack have been destroying teams this season. They've been one of the kind of standout teams in England. He was absolutely unbelievable. He was making like big breaks, and he's he actually is Australian as well. He, but he, I think France are hoping to, to pick him. I don't think he'll be ready for the World Cup, apparently, but uh, he, maybe shortly afterwards. He, he, he's some prospect. Rudd, in terms of Lancer, Luke touched on it there. They're, they're kind of forwards, you know, at, at scrum time and the two mall tries they conceded penalty tries in. Keane was writing about it earlier in the week as well, kind of one area of concern potentially, especially because Toulouse, La Rochelle, Saracens, the teams that have to go through to win it are so strong in those areas. Would that be an area of concern for you? Yeah, and just throwing the Sharks and the Bulls as well, you know, and, and the Stormers. You've got a lot of big, strong, physical packs there in the, in the, in the knockout stages and that is that has been Leinster's Achilles heel in the, in the games that they've lost and they don't lose many it's when they come up against these monstrous packs who can grind them down and drag them into a game they don't want to play and at this stage the way they're just laying waste all before them again they've got to go and win this tournament this year it's not a foregone conclusion but you can't be this good in the pool stages and in, through the knockouts and keep falling at the, the final hurdle you've got to get a one or two over the line and they've only won one European Cup in 10 years and that's you know it's it's a hard thing to win i'm not i don't uh i don't diminish that one bit but they have like everyone looks at them and thinks they're the best team in europe but they keep falling at the final hurdle against the same teams it's been sorry it's like the all blacks between from you know it's like the all blacks post 1987 until 2011 you know they were always the best team but they just always found different ways to kind of come up just yeah, and the All Blacks figured it out in the end, and, and it's up to Leinster to do that, particularly because Lancaster's leaving at the end of the year, and Johnny Sexton's probably going to retire at the end of the season as well. So you're losing two of your most influential figures behind the scenes, and we saw in 16, 15 into 16, or sorry, a little bit earlier than that, was the 13 into 14, when, when Joe Schmidt left, Johnny Sexton uh, left, and Matt O'Connor took over, that it took a while for the organisation to find its way again. So there's no guarantee that those departures will, I mean, you would back them to probably make the right decisions, but you just, there's no guarantee of it. So you've got to take the opportunities when they're there. Like you won't have Johnny Sexton next year. You've got to win it while he's there because it's part of his legacy as well. Like himself, Keane Healy have been there for all the European Cups. You you, know, you want a fifth one to sign them off. What an incredible achievement that would be. Um, there are there are Achilles heels there and you just hope and it, like you do knowing the people that are involved and the way that they ruthlessly analyze things and how high their standards are you know they're looking at that stuff that they're not getting carried away with by their however many tries they're scoring away to Gloucester that they're going in on Monday and looking at these things but at the same time when you're winning it's easy to fall into bad habits because you, you're able to get through it like you're able to you know do a, a quick tap penalty and score without anyone touching you just change you know their variations are unbelievable 
they've gotten obviously they learned a lot from last year obviously uh yeah. in terms of the, in terms of the five meter taps but I, I thought like Munster as well like you need to be cautious like I, I have to say that Northampton defense close to the line as well as the, the Gloucester defense close to the line I mean even the the Larmer tried to start the game for Gloucester. Like, jeez, how soft is that? Like, I mean, a defend, a, a, a center getting confused with who he was taking there and not hitting Larmer. Like, oh, <laughs> like so. The, sorry, the point I'm making just to reinforce. Like, I just think you really cannot these English teams. You just don't know how they're pitching up and how good they are. They're you know Saracens. I think an Exeter, but uh, leaving that aside, maybe Leicester too. Um, the rest. Be very, very cautious about how you interpret those results and, and, and what what you think it means for how good you are is probably the key thing. And I and you'd hope Lencer would have learned that at this stage because they've handed out a couple of drillings over the last couple of years to English opposition. Um, but as I said, you got to be cautious because you just don't know what you're playing against. Yeah, I think I looked it up before the weekend and including the weekend. Leinster, I think, have won nine out of ten games in England under Lancaster and Cullen. The only loss was that final against Saracens, and the average scoreline has been like 35-10, and it includes knockout games against Exeter and Leicester. It includes a couple of Northampton <laughs> shellackings and, and a few other ones against Gloucester and Bath. And, yeah, it's it's it's, it's an interesting one because like Gloucester and Northampton are top six teams in England, so it's not as if you're playing like the dregs of the league, but... The way they, as Luke said, pitched up the last couple of weeks has been very, very poor. Yeah, that was Gloucester's first team, and Northampton sent over a pretty strong team to the home. And then when when they started playing in the second half, they could play. But I just think the level of the Premiership is just not what it was. And I think Leinster would, I wouldn't say, I'd hesitate to say they'd walk the Premiership because I think Saracens are are, are a real elite team, and Sale seem to be very consistent in that competition as well. But the, the level at which Leinster are operating with so many test match players involved and the, the variation that they can offer in attack, the power that they're bringing around the park in terms of the breakdown, the addition of Ryan Baird, of Jason Jenkins when he's fit, like they, they are the full court. They can play, they can beat you either way. Um, and they're walking the URC at the moment. And it looks like they're walking Europe. But we, we cannot allow ourselves to get carried away with it because we've been carried away a little bit before and it comes to that one day in May and it's gone. And it's... All of that other stuff, like the consistency is brilliant and it's great, but when you retire at the end of it, it's the medals that you want to have. It's the celebrations after you win a final. So, you know... We've all, all of us here have been hurt before by Leinster. <laughs> is that what you're trying to say? Be cautious. It's, it's, like, it's, it's more being burnt. Like, it's, it's, yeah. I, I do, look, I think they're good enough. They're too good not to, they're too good at an organization and a team to only have one. And they kind of fell over the line that day as well. I know that just shows how hard it is. But like in ten years, that is particularly since Lancaster came on board, when they've been in finals and semi-finals and big games, and I know they've a load of URCs, and and that's getting a harder competition to win now. But they still should be adding at least one more to that legacy. Rod, like even if they go and win the Champions Cup this year, they'll still have underachieved. Like for me, like they they should have won at least one more, possibly two more Champions Cups. So like I I, I wouldn't say this will be. They they should they have to win it like I wouldn't be jumping from the rooftops either they, like they this is the bare minimum like the bare minimum I think if they win it this I, year I mean, that's such a, it's such an impossible standard and and I think that's probably well from this position where they have lost two finals and a semi and a couple of semi finals and it wasn't a one quarter final to Saracens when they got mugged in the Viva that time in lockdown you know from this point they can't win any of those old ones they just got to win the one that's in front of them and 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 add to that a fifth star and. Yeah, like you can. You, that's that's kind of a, a debate for another day. That that whether they should have added more since that during this era, um, they can't do anything about those previous ones now. But what they can do is go and win the double this year, 
finish the season unbeaten and write themselves into history. And I don't think if they do that, anyone will be looking back on it as a, as an underachievement. Well, that'd be that'd be a pretty harsh thing to say. <laughs> I've high standards for it. What can I say? Um, moving to Ulster now, Luke. Another heartbreaker for them. Another lead lost in the in the closing stages. It was. It's funny, the two games I've watched in La Rochelle this year in the Champions Cup has been torrentially raining and it's been actually quite nice in Dublin that day, which is a funny when you usually expect to be the other way around. But another gooding day for Ulster. Like, and they had the chances. Like, they, they coughed up lineouts in the opposition 22. There was a lot of sloppy knock-ons in and around the line. I think they had three five-meter lineouts in a row coming up to half time that they didn't convert. And then La Rochelle, they talk about getting mugged like at the death, squeeze over. Another, another heartbreaker in a long list of heartbreakers in the last you know, two months. Yeah, yeah. I'm so disappointed for them. I like, I really felt like, you know, it would have given the place a big lift. Like they seem like, it seems like the walls are closing in a, a bit down there. The questions are starting to come to Dan McFarland. You can kind of see a bit of that going on as well, um, which I don't think is right by the way, but um, yeah, they really could have done with that one. A win away in France is like, you know what I mean? Like they don't come too often. And um, yeah, very disappointing for them. Like, I I don't even know what to say. Like, because I, I feel like I'm repeating the same thing. Like, they need to figure it out within the group what's going on. Why are they, wh- where's the lack of belief coming from? Why can't they close things out? Uh, like, I think there's definitely a discipline thing there that they, they don't seem to be able to, when they've got the foot on the throat, they don't step down. They don't squash it. Do you know what I mean? They don't, they don't, they don't finish you off. For some reason, whatever it is, they seem to think that they can allow teams to, you know, they can they can have this score. We can kind of we've done enough at this stage. Uh, you saw that with Leinster before half time. You saw that in Connacht a couple of weeks ago. They got away with it. Um, you know, they they seem to be able to think that they can do that, but that's not how sports work. Sports is when you're in game at the top level and you're playing against like really good players. Uh, no matter what it is, if you give a team momentum, you just don't know how far that can go and how badly things, how quickly things can go wrong when you're playing against good players. Confidence and momentum are fickle. And you've got to really be on your game and always concentrating. Never give anything easy. You just don't know what something does, whether it's an easy penalty here. It's, oh, it's okay. We can, I'm down in there 22. We can give away this penalty. Like, I think Ulster are one of those teams um, against Leinster. You know what? We, we'll take a chance here, uh, you know, on a five-meter line against Leinster. They're, they're, they've been all over the place the first 40 minutes here. Uh, we're going to throw someone up and try and nick this instead of just squeezing them out of it, trying to hold out, not giving them a mall try. Little things like that, the conic five meter five meter uh, uh, penalty, where they quick tapped, like oh, it's okay, we have enough on the board to to make this easy. Like it, it, those kind of things, it's a mindset. You cannot give a team an inch, and I think they're a team that does that regularly when they're in in comfortable positions after mostly most of the hard work being done, and that's really disappointing. And that's a mental thing that they need to get their heads around. And um, I don't have an answer for how you do that. I, I feel like it's it's a discipline thing, though. I do think that you they're kind of underestimating those two things, that kind of that confidence and that momentum that, that can change in-game very quickly and can do funky things with results that look like they're foregone conclusion. Yeah, and it's a funny one, Rook, because, like, you know, a 3-0, you know, eked-out victory in La Rochelle and an absolute downpour like that could have been the spark you know that that got yeah. you know even though it wasn't a good performance really but like just the momentum you'd get from turning over the champions in those circumstances would have been huge a bit like the bloodgate game you know that's what was that six five you know like the the just these these days where you just something goes right for you and, and you eke it out in, in tough circumstances like you can you can see how that could have been spun in their favor and instead they're again trying to explain how one got away and like unfortunately for all that they were courageous and they stayed in the game, it did, it did get away. And it's another one in, in, into the ledger. And 
they've lost Ian Henderson for this week, and he's such an important player for them. So now they have to go into this game without their captain. They're down a few more bodies. Um, you know, they'll, they'll bring they they rested a couple of players for that game. You know, McCluskey, Hume. They went big on that Benetton game, and they kind of said, "Look, let's get what we can out of La Rochelle, and let's go hard at Sale because I think they knew they'd still be in it." So they're bringing a couple of fresh bodies back, including McCluskey, who I think is their best player right now. Um. And I think they're good enough to beat, like they're good enough to win all these games because I think they're like I, I can't get away. From, right can't there. Myself, yeah. they're a good team. Like they, they were. They, they, I still think on paper they're the second best team in Ireland, but they're not playing that way. And they're, I suppose the more they play, they stop playing that way, it's, it's harder to make that that argument. But I think they can get over the line against Sale. They can get into the knockouts, but the reward is either a trip to Dublin to play Leinster or a trip to um, Durban to play the Sharks or a trip to London to play Saracens. So. Um, I mean, I think this, they're nearly better off being in the Challenge Cup. They might win that, you know, but obviously you can't sell that to, to a group of players to get get a couple of bonus points and end up in the back door. Um, that's a tough station. I think that's what Munster need to avoid as well. Like this draw is looking very, very difficult. So um, they can win this weekend. They can reignite their season, but they've, they've a fairly hellish game to look forward to in March or April when, when things roll around, you know. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see the squad announcement on Thursday as well, like what Ulster players suffer. Like you have people who were in the squad in November, Stockdale, Lowry, Kieran Treadwell. All of those guys could be potentially facing the chop. Balakoon was injured. He was, you know, he's injured at the moment, so it's unclear how bad his hamstring injury is. He's another guy who could potentially drop out. Rod, what do you think? I don't know what do you make. Like, I think I think Treadwell probably survives because he's done it for Ireland before. I think Henderson is in because he is a senior player, and, and I think they rate him. And, and maybe getting into Ireland might just give him the the mental rejuvenation that he needs because, like, he just came back from injury and everything started burning around him. So I think getting into Ireland might be no harm. I don't think he should go into the team or anything like that. But I don't. I think he he'll be one of those players who'll get into the squad. Other than that, like Hume isn't really playing. McCluskey, I think, probably starts twelve if Henshaw's not not fit and, and deservedly so, particularly because Aki's not playing either. Um, apart from that, you know, could you pick a Lowry? Could you pick like none of them are lighting things up? None of them are on, are there on form. There's back three players playing better would be elsewhere. Mac Hansen played really well at fifteen for Connacht at the weekend. Like he, you know, he'll do a job for you there. Jimmy O'Brien's do a job Jordan for you there. Jordan Larmer, yeah, like I mean, he's in electric form at the moment. There's better players playing elsewhere at the moment. Um, and I think unless you're one of the really established guys, you can't rely on past performance because you know these lads haven't done it for Ireland before. So, um, I wouldn't imagine there'd be many Ulster players in that squad uh, at the weekend, and uh, I don't think based on their recent form, they can really complain if they're not. Yeah, and Rod, just to wrap up on Connacht, I know you were there last weekend. We haven't talked about them much on these European podcasts. The Challenge Cup, obviously, not quite as as prominent, but you know they have one. They're one win away from getting a home knockout game, and. As you mentioned there, like it, the Challenge Cup is a winnable tournament. The finals in the Aviva Stadium, just like the Champions Cup, it, it, I really think they should be driving at that as much as the league, you know, because I think it's a great opportunity for them. Yeah, and they would say that they're going for the league primarily because they want to get into the Champions Cup next year. But I think you can get into the Champions Cup via this tournament, and and you've got a chance to win a win a trophy at the end of it. And I think behind the scenes, they're probably a bit more bullish about their chances than they than than they'd admit publicly. So they beat Breve. Breve were crap. They sent over a terrible team full of teenagers. They weren't really that interested. Kind of played some absolutely beautiful rugby. I really enjoyed watching them, but it was it wasn't much of a game. Newcastle away. Newcastle, I think, lost the weekend. They're like so like they got hammered. They got hammered. So yeah. that their interest in this competition isn't great. So if Connor can get top seeding, then they can be like Leinster home the whole way through the knockout. So the sports no one's gonna fancy going to the sports ground. And although there are four 
Champions Cup teams dropping into the Challenge Cup, they all lose home advantage. Like you, they, they're rewarding the Challenge Cup teams through the tournament, so that's a positive for Connacht. So yeah, why not? You know, they've they, they've got a pretty handy run in the URC. Like Connacht can never take any game for granted, but they've they've played all their hardest games so far. They could achieve both. They could get into the top eight in the URC. They could get into the Challenge Cup final. And in a final with a big home crowd behind them, I think they could do very well in that final. So they've got some really good players. They've got a very good coach. They don't have a massive amount of depth, but they've more depth than they used to have. They might struggle if they came up against one of the big hitters. If Montpellier dropped down and played their first choice pack, you know, that might be a bridge too far. But on that pitch, they can move teams around. So they have a, they have a chance. And they've got players playing well. Cole Ford, the guy who's taken Bunyaki's place, he looks like a really, really good inside centre. He's, he's really dynamic, wins collisions gets them over the gain line and looks uh, really um, comfortable in that environment. Colin Riley started at scrum half and the guy played a rest. He looked really good as well. So they've got... Hawkshaw looks like a good bit of business. What do you make of Hawkshaw? I, I, every time I see him for Connor, I think he looks yeah, like... Yeah, he's got an really ankle injury at the moment, unfortunately, but he, he, they, they love him down there. And he's one of the reasons yeah. Zaki wasn't getting picked beforehand. He, they, they, they play better when he's playing at 12. And I think he comes into the Ireland reckoning probably post-World Cup. If he keeps playing down there, he gets he got picked up that ankle against Leinster when he was trying to stop. Was it, uh, Larmer, Larmer stepped him and it was a literal ankle breaker. Um, but he's out at the moment. But he, he looks like that's a really good bit of business. Josh Murphy starting. Look, I'm not going to get too excited about them. They still have to win games that, that, that it'll be difficult to win, but I think they've got a real chance of, of winning something if they can stay in this tournament and keep performing. Yeah, I think with the with the way the draw and the fixtures are this weekend, I think Toulon and Cardiff are likely to finish ahead of them in the, in that pool anyway, so they probably won't be getting top seeding. And funnily enough, there's 10 teams in their pool and six qualify. There's a good chance that the team in six will have lost all four of their games, which is, again, it's been a bad year for European permutations, but we have five teams who've won three out of uh, three so far, and they look like they're probably all favoured to win four out of four this weekend. You're going to have a team qualifying for a knockout game in Europe who've probably lost all four of their pool games. I've never heard of that in any tournament ever in any sport. In EPCR's defence, Wasps and Worcester were in that tournament and dropped out, so that left them in a bit of a sticky wicket. But yeah, it's still look the, the format has to change. We like you know they need to find a, new, a more competitive way. They need to, I think, reduce the number of teams in the Champions Cup, put better teams into the Challenge Cup, and um, make that more competitive. Make the Champions Cup more competitive. You want to see the best teams playing each other with strong with their strongest teams. We don't want like nine try wins against Gloucester away. Like that's too easy. Even though like they are one of the best teams in England. Like there's there's not that many good teams out there. Get the best teams playing against each other. The idea of a team losing all four pool matches <laughs> or getting hockey in four pool matches and still progressing is just that's why the EPCR deserve for how like it's been structured this year, I feel. Hard to argue with that when you look at it. I mean I'm I'm, I'm looking at that group there. I mean, yeah. It's pretty pretty grim reading. Yeah. The last the, the bottom five of them won obviously well I haven't won and that's not obvious actually but you're right. That'd be pretty ugly for one of them to go through. But as Rod said, like it's it's because of that situation over in the UK with the the teams not uh, you know being able to financially. It's it, sorry that that model where it's not financially sustainable. Obviously, we've seen two teams drop out, but it's not a good look. You're right. <laughs> I, I didn't know that. I'm only looking at this now. Whether, oh my god! You almost sorry? wonder whether they need to make it an invitational tournament so the teams that actually want to be in it are in it. Because, like, what's the point in having teams who are just basically sending over terrible teams? Probably just for gate revenue. Like, surely there's a way of getting played. Like, you can either be in this or not. Fine if you don't want to be. But let's have eight teams who want to be in the tournament, who want to win it, rather than, you know, teams who are just going to phone it in and, and, and crash out at the earliest opportunity. Cause it's just, you just it cut down, do you just cut down the size, Ruds? I, I'd say if you could, you could definitely, if you cut down the sides, you, size, you could definitely have you definitely have enough teams that want to do it and they'd mm. send good teams over. And unless they, unless they have... 
Champions Cup as well. And you, Champions you, you Cup, sorry, yeah. Them. So you, you, I think you cut both, and you, you like every team in Europe is getting into this, and it's just not really working. Like you know, like the, the, there's teams there that don't want to be in it. So why are they the fulfilling fixtures that are basically shortchanging people who like Connacht? You know, had a decent crowd against Breve at the weekend, but Breve sent over a second. Like you're shortchanging the people. Surely, Connacht against Bristol, who were actually taking them seriously, would be a better, better game for the fans to be. It'd be harder to win, but it'd be better for all of us to to watch. You know, you'd be better, John, to selling it. Like these games aren't even on TV. A lot of them. Yeah, two, like two tournaments of sixteen teams each, four pools of four potentially. There still will be dead rubbers. There always will be, but that will be, I suppose, two really strong, vibrant tournaments potentially. I but you have less of those dead rubbers. Like that's the thing. There's just too many at this point. Yeah. Like that's yeah. that, that's a real problem. Like you, you you know, you can have one where there's a team at the very end of the pool stages who just had a nightmare, who've got you know just had a bad run, and look, it doesn't make any sense for them to send over the best team when it's not possible for them to qualify, uh, or so, something along those lines. You know, like one of these teams who haven't won in group in pool A, <laughs> one of these five teams. Um, you know that you can see why they wouldn't send over a good team in the last. I, I can forgive that to a certain extent, even though it's not a good look. But for the first two or three, you've got to have teams picking first two or three games. Save a pool like that, you've got to have teams sending over their best best teams. It's it's not right. It isn't right. So they, yeah, I think there's enough there's enough good rugby teams that have the belief to go over and send over a good rugby team that they can beat any team on their day. Um. You'd, you, you'll find the numbers, but you do a reduced size. I think is probably sounds like it's actually a good recommendation from Rods there. I think when you when you just look at some of the teams in this, and just looking at the the English teams dropped out of Pool B, which is actually really competitive. So it's not an excuse for Pool A where five teams haven't won a game yet. So I, I that was a that was being overly generous to yeah, everyone there because that, that other one is actually quite competitive. There's loads of teams going for the last spot. Yeah, so, Pool B uh, looks good. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at that there. Yeah, but it'd be a bit of heartbreaking if you were, you know, one of the bottom teams there and not qualifying uh, and seeing the other side of the draw going, geez, that's a that is a joke. Like, you know, but to, to be and fair, it's point actually, once it gets into the knockouts, it's actually a pretty good tournament. Like, like, you know, Bristol, Toulon, Connacht, you could have Racing 92 dropping down. Like, there are some good teams, and the knockouts generally have actually been pretty enjoyable and competitive. And teams do, once it gets into the knockouts, you know, play stronger teams, but the kind of the damage has been done on was at that stage in terms of like, sending over the Espoirs or the Academy. And like over the course of your career, you only get a chance to win two ga- two tournaments a season. And there's not, like I don't understand how anyone turns their nose up at winning a Challenge Cup because it's like, it's it's the only one you're in this year and you, your career's short. Like, um, like I think if Ulster end up in it, they should go full full whack to try and win it because they haven't won that in 2006. You know, it, it, sure it's not a Heineken Cup, but it's still a final. It's still something there to be won. You know, I heard a couple of years ago, one of the provinces who were in it were like, you know, they were in a quarterfinal and they were like, even the, the squad were kind of like not that interested and gone over that there was a bit of kind of uh, sniffiness about it. And you're like, how how have you got to the point? You've, you've never won that in your entire career. You might have won medal in your entire career and you're turning your nose up, like a, a real chance to go and win something. Like these days we've seen, I was at the final between Claremont and La Rochelle in what was it, 2018, the night before Leinster. Like Claremont won that and they had a great time. They, like it's a chance to celebrate, it's a chance to win. Yeah. Like Cardiff, Cardiff and Bilbao as well. Like that was yeah. a it beat Gloucester at last sick kick of the game and it was a yeah. you know big celebration for them. But it can also kick you on. Like if you think yeah. about Leinster winning it during that period where it was pretty challenging for them, you know, uh, I, you know that, that was something that they thought helped them the next year. Think of Harlequins. Harlequins actually won a, a, a Challenge Cup and they went on then to be more competitive in the league. It kind of built that belief, you know. And as you say, like it's it's funny, like isn't it? La Rochelle obviously got to the final uh, and Claremont. But like, you know, 
it's the stepping stone for those teams to have gone on and won actual, you know, the, the Champions Cup. So I'm really surprised to hear that. And I, and I think, as you said, once you get through to the qualifiers, they're, they're all pretty good teams. Like, they're pretty hard. Like, you wouldn't, like, even Leinster, like, if, if they're playing their full team and they're playing properly, most teams, uh, you know, are pretty difficult to beat at home when you look at these names here. So, um, really surprised at that mindset. And I think it's a real, it's a real nice step. Stone. But it's also, as you say, it's a medal. It's a medal. Like, it's still have to win the thing. Still have to win the thing. Yeah, that's very odd mindset. I'm surprised to hear that. Well, it's set up to be a very exciting weekend about Champions and Challenge Cup action to round off the pool stages. We'll be back later in the week with a podcast to discuss the team news ahead of the weekend. In the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye. This is an Irish independent podcast.